This is Gramercy, the podcast that highlights the stories of those who live and work on the margins of society. I'm your host, Corey Malat. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. Welcome to Season 2. This season, the focus is on listening to the voices of our Black friends, neighbors, and strangers in order that we might better learn from their experiences of what it's like being Black in America. Today I visit with Precious Pioneer, who above all else believes that kindness will change the world. She is a culinary artist who shares her passion for cooking and kindness on her many social media platforms. Like any successful millennial, Precious has her own YouTube channel, podcast, and blog where she discusses life and explores how food connects us. She has a contagious optimism and a gift for expressing herself with eloquence and grace. In today's episode, we discuss what it means to be a strong black woman, what passive-aggressive comments look and feel like, as well as what it's like growing up biracial in the United States. Welcome, Precious. It is going to be such a joy to talk with you today. I'm so excited to see the world through your eyes. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Who are three people, dead or alive, that you would enjoy having over for dinner? Um, I would love to have Chef Dan Barber um, at my table. He has a beautiful restaurant in New York City, and he's known for his farm-to-table methods. Mm. Um, I would just love to pick his brain for forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to have Michelle Obama, of course, because yes. she is just a light. And I think I could learn a lot of wisdom from her experiences. Mm-hmm. And um, this is a, a little religious and kind of funny, but I wouldn't mind having Jesus at my table just <laughs> to bless the food and there you go. some good wisdom. But yes, yeah, I think those are the people that I'd pick. Before we dive into um, the consequences of racism touching your life in different areas, I would just love to hear what it was like growing up being you. And uh, what are some of the things that you cherish the most? And what are some of the greatest hardships that you've had to uh, deal with in your lifetime? Sure. Um, So I grew up as a military child. Um, My dad is in the Air Force. And so it's a beautiful sort of experience, I suppose, because it has exposed me to a diverse range of people and culture. And um, people would pay fortunes to kind of been to where I've been to in my life thus far. I was born in Fresno, California, but I also have lived in Orlando and Texas and Kansas and Mississippi and New Jersey and DC. Fantastic. (laughs) A little bit of everywhere. And honestly, I think it was a positive experience for me because um, I think only a certain amount of exposure could really um, open you up to have conversations with different people. And I think that's definitely strengthened my communication skills and my insight on the world. I would say my most um, challenging aspect of growing up though is learning to open up to said people. Because sometimes I think when you're young, you hold on to your feelings really tight 
And um, I Mm -hmm. don't think I saw a strong significance in opening up to everybody knowing I'd be leaving in a year Mm -hmm. or a Mm -hmm. given time. And so it wasn't until I got to college that I realized that, you know, um, the deeper meaning of life and experiencing people, um, people are meant to be in your life, uh, even if it's just for a moment, you know, and so it's not worth shutting them off and um, talking to people about things that are deeper and important. Um, what a great help, life help lesson. You, yeah, will help you uh, feel less alone. And I mm-hmm. think that's kind of what it's about, you know, to go through life together with people. Mm-hmm. Wow, that you've learned this lesson already. So young in age is very impressive. Um, and I also have to say, I really like your takeaway on how you see such a positive view of of there's positives and negatives of having to move so often, mm-hmm. but I love your positive view of how it opened the world up to you more. You're not so um, ethnocentric or like um, state centric or city centric that so many people who live in one place and never move become. Mm-hmm. You get to see the world through the eyes of people in Mississippi and in Florida and in California. And they mm-hmm. all look just a little bit different, don't they? Yeah, they just certainly do. <laughs> yeah, that's a great worldview for you to step into your life with that so many people don't get that opportunity. So I like that you saw that as a positive. But then I relate to your negative, like not being able to connect with people um, because you know you're about to leave. You don't want to open too much of yourself up. So yeah, it's mm-hmm. the kind of yin-yang of that Exactly. That circumstance. Um, Yeah, exactly. I used to joke around. I'm like, wow, having a person who's known me since I was a child, like a childhood friend, what is that? You know, (laughs) like, um, I think, and because people tell me that it's like a really good thing, you know, because you can have this friend that's known you forever, but then also it could be a bad thing because they've known you for forever. So (laughs) it's just very interesting. Yes, I know. And you have to make the most of the world you were born into and Mm -hmm. uh, find the good in it, right? Exactly. Um, So what do you currently do now? Um, So as of late March, I was a pastry chef. And so I was in charge of baking and chocolatiering. And um, Mm. so I love anything and anything related to those sort of things. But I recently, um, within the past couple of years, at least got really into culinary. And so I would say that I'm an aspiring chef because I haven't earned my official chef whites so I am addressed as a pastry chef at my job. So Okay. I'm really curious. How did you choose to become a chef? Um, so it's kind of funny. Um, I guess long story short, when I was a kid, I um, dreamed of like working at Red Lobster, which is kind of funny looking back. <laughs> um, but I grew up watching Food Network and different shows like that. And I think I was just really inspired to create something of my own. I mm-hmm. Grew up watching like Cake Boss and all of those really cool mm-hmm. shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a military kid too. So for me, uh, having a meal with my family is like really symbolic and really special to me. And I find that working in restaurants, you know, people come to celebrate their anniversaries and birthdays and all these things. And so for me, it's like when they uh, eat my cake or all of my different pastries, you know, I'm a part yeah. of their memory and fell in love with like the story behind food and behind culture. How old were you when your parents explained about racism to you? What was that conversation like? 
Um, honestly, my parents never really did, like ever. And I think that's kind of interesting. Um, I think it's mostly because I never really had um, instances growing up that would cause me to question my race or question. I just thought it was normal, you know, like Mm -hmm. I'm a light skinned girl is what people say, you know, so I, I didn't really identify with anything. I knew who I was, so I didn't and I wasn't called out for anything like that. It wasn't mm-hmm. until I lived in, t- in Mississippi or when I got to college that I became a lot more aware of the color of my skin and um, modern day, of course, as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So you mentioned that you didn't really have to deal with racism. It didn't touch your life as you were growing up when you were young, but not until you moved to Mississippi. What mm-hmm. happened in Mississippi that opened your eyes up to the fact that People don't view you the way you kind of thought maybe they did. Um, So it was like a very warm Southern hospitality welcome. Mm -hmm. Um, I enrolled into my high school. I was starting the ninth grade and I had taken a bunch of advanced level classes, seventh and eighth grade. And so I was going into ninth grade taking AP classes and honored classes. Mm -hmm. Um, I was trying to get into the scholarship program for my college in Florida at the time. And so I had to take a bunch of pre-enrollment classes over the summer and all these different things that I did fine. But um, as I, you make your schedule that summer. And as I came into my first class, I noticed that all of my classes had been changed to like regular classes, um, which is like fine, but not really. I was just confused and why I was in the classes that I didn't sign up for. And so I brought that to my parents and I'm like, didn't I enroll into, you know, algebra two and like all these different things. And my dad's like, yeah, that's not right. So he went in, you know, being concerned, like a concerned, you know, parent. Mm -hmm. And my counselor at the time was an older white lady. And she's like, oh yeah, I just figured that, you know, people around here really don't go to college after high school. I just thought that you had made a mistake. And it was just very frustrating to be perceived that way or be labeled that way when nobody knew who I was. I wasn't the new kid. So to just make that judgment so quick without calling anybody, mm-hmm. asking me, pulling me aside, like, hey, Precious, like, are these the classes you need? And I would be like, no, that's right. And then, mm-hmm. you know, just doing, mm-hmm. taking that power within herself, you know, it's just very interesting. And it was a reality check. And I think a whole bunch of passive aggressive things that happened throughout the course of my high school experience, because I was only there my freshman and sophomore year, mm-hmm. forced me to reckon, recognize a lot of other small little things that I had in my childhood mm-hmm. of, you know, and because to be honest, like in my AP classes, there weren't a lot of black students, but to be fair, if they all had the same counselor I had, I wouldn't blame them. you know and so it's just like the idea of that's the first time I heard like oh you're smart like you're smart for a black girl or you talk like a white girl like all these just passive aggressive Mm -hmm. comments I didn't know whether to say thank you or it was just like a question Mm -hmm. mark it's the first time I ever encountered that sort of interaction um so it was awkward and so 
that whole biracial thing also was a sore thumb because because I talk like a white girl, I didn't fit in with the black kids and I'm clearly not white. So it was just kind of like, okay, like, I guess I'll just be friends with everybody Mm. and nobody. Like it was just, it's weird. It's like a weird thing because you want it, people want to label you or put you in a certain area, but you're unique, you know, you don't, Mm -hmm. you don't fit in anywhere. And Mm -hmm. so it's weird. Man, I can't imagine what that feels like. Did you question yourself with that? Did you think, oh, maybe I'm reading into it. Maybe it really wasn't a big deal or did it really sink in? To be frank, um, when I was at that age, I really didn't, I was too naive to understand what was going on. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't until, because that was my own perspective. This is the first time it's ever happened. So I thought it was just kind of weird or it's like, okay, weird lady, like, okay. You know, like that's never Mm -hmm. happened to me before. You know, like I grew up in such a diverse group, like everybody on the military base is so different, unique. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, like a one case sort of situation. And it wasn't until I was in college in hindsight and I talked to it, talked to it with other people and heard their own experiences and how they grew up. And I'm like, oh, that like, because my case was once or two times, three times, mm-hmm. some people like other black people or other people's stories that I've ha- heard, that's a daily for them or a common thing or mm. like, you know, it's like way more normal. And so I knew that my one little hiccup or two, whatever that I thought was like weird or weird situation, that was their everyday life. And so that really opened my eyes to like how people are actually treated in certain situations, how people are followed in stores or like all these different situations just because of how they're perceived. And I don't, I don't think that's right. Mm-mm. No. So have you ever called anybody out on a passive aggressive remark or a blatantly racist remark, whether for yourself or in uh, defense of another? I have, but the way that I see it, um, even if there is some legitimacy behind it and you didn't mean anything by it, I think just addressing what people are saying to you firsthand um, and acknowledging it is um, the first way to go because that could be related to any sort of apology like, Mm -hmm. oh, I accidentally kicked you. Oh, well, I didn't mean to kick you. It's like address that you had done that action Mm -hmm. and then say, if you want, like, oh, that was my bad. I didn't mean to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. You know, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are very reactant of like, oh, I didn't mean to do that, whatever, which is beyond the point. Like my leg still hurts that you kicked me either way, you know? Yes. Yes. So I think that people really need to listen, understand, be empathetic, and then address it. You know, and then if you didn't mean it, that's fine. You could say that at the very end, Um, but that's beyond the point. Um, But if I've addressed other people, I think that I have. I don't think there has been any moment that has specifically stood out. Um, But I think that if I did, I'm very conversational with those sort of things because I know usually you can get a good indication whether they do mean it or not. Um, And so sometimes I I could pull somebody aside and say like, hey, I don't think that was really appropriate in this manner. You know, like people see things differently and I would disregard, I wouldn't say that, you know, it's very offensive or something. And they usually take it pretty well. They're just like, oh, okay, my bad. I didn't mean to offend anybody. I'm sorry. And then it could be as simple as that. I don't think people Mm -hmm. are really out here trying to attack you unless you say something, you know, to 
with the intention to attack somebody else. You yeah. know, oftentimes um, racism is quite passive. And so when people say like, oh, I don't think racism, is, racism exists today, it's really, really passive aggressive. It's like it, it affects your job applications or how you're interviewed or the way that you speak on the phone. It's just like really passively you know, like the way that you wear your hair, the fact that we need a law to allow black people to wear their curly hair is yes. like beyond me, it's you know, things like horrible. that. Mm -hmm. It's so if you, I just feel like go about it the way that you would want to go about it. Like if you made a mistake, yes. and you really didn't mean it, then like approach it that way. You know, that's beautiful. I, I, You're giving people the benefit of the doubt. And you know what I have learned in so many of my interviews is that Without a doubt, the minorities of all different types that I'm interviewing so far, that they're so forgiving and they give people the benefit of the doubt time and time again. And I know that is more than I do. And I'm very humbled by that. That's very, very impressive to me. I don't know. I think there's just two, like on optimism, you could either see the glass half full mm -hmm. or half empty. And so you mm -hmm. could say like, oh, I have all of these things against me, all of these hurdles. And I'm just mm -hmm. gonna, like, what kind of life is that? You know, if you just focus on that, whether, I, I think each of us are born with the cards that we've been help, dealt, like no matter what. And so we could, we could either use what we have and put more joy and put m more happiness into the world and try to fix some of the problems that are a little bit of a mess where we can just point at the problems and suffer under it. You know, I can't have that on my heart to just, you know, have be so hateful or spiteful, you know, and they say that when you live the world that way, you know, you become the very thing that you hate. So you know? true. Well, I aspire to be like you when I grow up. You have a beautiful way of expressing yourself and I really appreciate it. You do keep mentioning passive aggressive remarks. Do you consider those the same thing as microaggressions? Do you prefer that terminology? Tell me, talk to me about that a little bit. I certainly do. Um, I think that, especially for Black women in the workplace, you know, there's a reason why they say we're like the um, most um, disrespected woman in America, mm -hmm. I suppose. And it's because we have this perception to be incredibly strong all the time and granted you know I think that and just in the black community in general and as a whole we have been through a lot of different traumatic experiences as as a whole and um, I think that the microaggressions come from that strong black woman persona you know mm. and so I I am not afraid to speak my mind. And for me, I know that you catch a lot more bees with honey. And so I'm always polite, but I'm always um, not necessarily sharp, but assertive enough that I'm not kidding. So like- And direct. I say? Yeah, I'm very mm -hmm. direct. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that's where a lot of my microaggressions come from. Mm -hmm. um, either that or like the way that I look sometimes, you know, I have very thick curly hair. So mm -hmm. it's like- when I come to my interview, I usually, you know, my version of what dress you're supposed to wear, like a blazer and like whatever, like I wear my hair down most of the time, you know, mm -hmm. so it's definitely impacted the way that I'm perceived, of mm. course. And so I think those are the main things that, that I get. But Do you think you get a little bit more benefit of the doubt because you are biracial, because you're so light skinned? Um, most definitely, because most people don't know 
what I am because when you're Latin, you can be um, Eastern Asian. Mm-hmm. You can be you can be like anything. I'm just mm-hmm. like a caramel color. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you know you can get away with a lot, but that doesn't make that's not reassuring to me because I know where I could go with that. And I know that it's not the same for other people. So mm-hmm. even it's like, even though I know that I'm safe, you know, certain areas, it sh- doesn't make me feel a lot better knowing that other people kind of have a different reality just because they're a couple of shades darker than mm. I am. So you don't want to take advantage of the fact of your um, light skin color? No, I, I don't. But the thing is though, it's like, you can't help it in certain situations because like you want it's hard to explain but it's part of the reason why i understand white privilege because i understand it through the lens of colorism and so i'm treated differently than a black like a fully black woman Mm -hmm. but on the other hand it's like you're warned about certain things or about dressing a certain way or presenting yourself a certain way and there's the whole um uh, what is it when you you change your you code you code switch so you talk a certain way on the phone to your bosses and you have to have a certain sort of very incredibly proper voice you know so you sound okay and it's all of these things that I keep in mind that I know that I benefit from because I studied really hard and I. Um, my dad has taught me like he is a black man and he's a colonel and so he's taught me like assimilation and the fact that like speaking a certain way matters, presenting yourself matters. You really have to go out and present yourself a very specific way Mm -hmm. to be taken seriously and to be safe in certain cases. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. Your upbringing has, has given you the tools you need to manage your life in the best way possible the optimism you bring to situations, the education you bring, the directness, you see the positivity in being direct, not the harshness of it. And uh, I admire that a lot because I have a hard time with being direct. So <laughs> I, when I see it and I see it done well, I'm like, ooh, that was good. I, I need to copy that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's where like, it's interesting that you say that because literally if you, I feel like when you look at other role models, you can easily emulate them. So when I think of um, bosses who just didn't take no and didn't sit in the corner or whatever and spoke up about certain things, I think of, um, you know, like general icons of like Beyonce or Oprah mm-hmm. or like just mm-hmm. general black people, you know, and mm-hmm. that you see on TV. Like I, when I think of them, you know, to get to where they got you can't just be fearful. They did not, they, they did not just go off to the side. They were loud about what they did, um, whether that's talking or dancing or whatever, they're loud. Mm-hmm. Um, even uh, Simone Biles, you know, the great, mm-hmm. one of the greatest Olympians yeah. and Selena, Serena, um, you know, like they, they're loud and they do not take no for an answer. And if anybody had a problem with it, they would just let them know that, you know, like I am the best in X category. So you really can't tell me anything. Like I am, you know, true. So true. I just, I read, uh, Dr. Edith Egger, I think is her name, Edith Eager or Egger. Uh, she was a Holocaust survivor. Um, and she is a, a very powerful, small little petite woman who works, um, as a psychologist on a lot on a military base in 
well, used to be in El Paso, and she had this quote in her book. I'm going to mess it up, so I'm just going to do the paraphrase, where <laughs> she said, um, assertive is good. Being assertive is standing up for yourself, like what you're talking about, and being direct and, um, yeah, standing up for yourself. Aggression is what we want to back away from. We don't want to be aggressive. That's not yeah. the same as being assertive. And it's different. Yeah. It just hit me like, oh yeah, but those two are different. And one is positive and one is negative. And I just, I needed that. And you're speaking to that exact same thing. There's nothing wrong with being a strong woman, black, mm -hmm. white, Asian, Native American. It doesn't matter. Um, right that is a positive form of assertiveness. And of course. you go, way to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you pull it from different different areas. You know, I think mm -hmm. aggression kind of stems from anger mm -hmm. or ego. And um, because honestly, you can be direct and assertive with like a whisper, you know, that's how you know you yes. can just, and so you don't have to raise your voice or swing your hands. You can just simply say what you have to say quietly mm -hmm. and it holds that same effectiveness. Yes. Do you ever fear the police when you're out and about or have you had instances where you've had negative encounters? Do you want to speak to any of that? I haven't had any terrible experiences with police officers. Thank Good. I'm glad. Goodness. Um, there was one time when I, my friend, he's black in college. He called me he was intoxicated at a bar, you know, it was like a Saturday night and he called me to pick him up and take him home. And so I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. And um, around those bars at night, like there's a ridiculous amount of cops, like too many, like at least seven or eight cars. So mm -hmm. I can only imagine how many people. And mm -hmm. so I was like, okay, you know, like sit on the side, be quiet, don't do anything. Like I just get very nervous, even mm -hmm. though I know I'm not doing anything wrong. I very, mm -hmm. very nervous because anything could happen. Yeah. And um, it does not help that he's intoxicated. But I remember we were driving home and we got pulled over. And I literally, I, I almost felt like I was having a heart attack. And I'm like, oh. I'm like, do not move. Do not say a word. Do not like, don't do anything. And he's a goofy guy. Like he's uh -huh. funny and loud or whatever. And I'm like, please just don't cause any problems. Cause uh -huh. he thinks it's silly, very carefree. And, um, the cop comes over and like, at this point I'm kind of crying. <laughs> um, I think I've been pulled over twice and both times I cried and I'm like, oh, <laughs> officer, like I didn't do anything wrong. I was going the speed <laughs> limit. Like, <laughs> I don't know what you want from me. And she's like, oh, you know, miss, don't worry. Your taillights out. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, thank you. Have a good day. She's like, yeah, just get it fixed. Yeah. It's just... It's very interesting, and I think with the last uh, presidency that we had, it was he's very good at fueling hate. Yes, that was already there. Yes, you know, and yes. um, it's just very interesting because I, when he first got elected, I honestly thought at first I cried, but <laughs> I'm a crier. Me too. Me too. <laughs> and um, but then I thought, you know, maybe this will be a good thing in disguise because. With the Obama administration, nobody believed that racism still existed. Like, oh, we have a black president. Like, what? Racism? Of course not. And now it only pulls the rug up 
and everything is at the surface. And so it gave permission for our neighbors to come out, for our coworkers to come out, for, yes, you know, everybody to come out and be like, hey, you know, like, I actually don't like Black people here. And I'm like, wow, at least now I know, you know, yeah, now I can keep a open. safe distance. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's just a very interesting conversation that we're having now. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that we, I always say that you can never fix a problem unless you know what that problem actually is. Mm-hmm. So that now that we yep. can see it face to face, I think now that we can start getting some work done and Very help true. to change yes. the world a little bit. I recently read Ibram Kendi's book, um, How to Be an Anti-Racist. Um, we even had a great book club about it. It was fantastic trying to open a bunch of our eyes to things we didn't even realize were racist. And um, one of the things he says in his book is that racism is not caused by hate and ignorance, but by self-interest. What are your thoughts on that? Do you agree or disagree? I certainly agree because I think we touched on it a little bit before. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have white privilege or any privilege at all, we can simplify it in, in the terms of money or wealth. But when you have, when you go through life on, like on level three, and suddenly you notice that everybody else around you is on level one. Why would you want to go down to level two so other the people on level one can go up to level two with you? Mm-hmm. Like, why would you sacrifice what you have so you can go down a level? And I think when people see that, it kind of scares them. They feel like they're losing something. Yes. But in reality, you don't really lose much, if anything, at all because you're still white. <laughs> um, but then also, it just opens space and opportunity for people it's like you're reaching, like if, if someone fell into a hill, it's like you're reaching out a hand to help them up, to be on the same level, to give them the, the same opportunity in the workplace, um, in housing, in opportunity, in scholarships, and just mm-hmm. for a better way of living. And I feel like with all of that aside, like I think that deep down, everybody has a little bit of patriotism or um, everybody screams America all the time. And I think understanding America's history and understanding what it means to be American um, and wanting everybody to participate in American democracy and the freedoms and the choices that we have um, to be rags from riches or to be an immigrant or to make something of yourself in this world. I think it's only best if everyone's involved, you know? So true. We're more connected and and the same, then we are different. And the more we see how much my good depends on your good, the more we would work towards that common good instead of trying to separate ourselves through labels, uh, through meritocracy, through, oh goodness, there's so many ways we try to do that. But not that differences can't be appreciated, but we really have so much more in common, like you're saying. Yeah. Reach down, reach up. It doesn't matter. We need to find that common ground. Yeah, most definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what you're doing is a great step towards that. I think just general education or even if question 
I find that the biggest milestones in life and the biggest growth that you find is questioning your own beliefs. Because if you believe something without any backing or you have uh, biases or certain things and you don't check on them and be like, oh, why do I think that way? Or why am I weird around this location? Mm -hmm. Or not questioning the way that you perceive things, you can go into certain situations very ignorant. But if you're like, hmm, maybe I don't. I don't think that's right. I shouldn't be judging them for no reason. Like, I think that's kind of silly. And just doing your own homework and just checking on how you perceive the world and how you can make it better. I think uh, small individual steps could make a difference. You could ask certain people what their experience was like in the workplace. Hey, did you have um, a struggle with your interview? And people will tell you, yes, you know, like they had me do all of these other loops and and then you can reflect and be like, oh, well, I only had to do this. And you can see just differences in your life, in your day-to-day by -hmm. just talking to the people that you have accessible around you. Mm -hmm. Beautiful advice. Is there anything else on your heart that you would like to speak up against or about racism or equality or anything? Um. Well, honestly, I think that whoever is listening to this podcast and has made it this far in the episode and is even um, interested in checking out this podcast, you are making a really great initial first step. Um, I know that can be scary and it can be different Mm -hmm. because you are um, going against the grain, whether that's in your family or friendships. But I think sometimes to be great, you have to question the normalcy of your own life. And so I encourage you to check in with yourself and with your family members. And um, and I think that with small steps, all of us together, mm-hmm. you know, mutually um, can make a big difference. And as you grow and change, I think addressing a lot of these issues with kindness and compassion is the only way to move forward. And so if you ever encounter, uh, you know, assertive, not assertiveness, what did we say? Aggression and Mm -hmm. hatred, you know, maybe hold off on a moment until it cools down and to have honest conversations because the more conversations we have, um, that actually evokes change, you know, yelling on the opposite side won't do anything. Yes. And I encourage you to talk to your other white counterparts about what you feel in this podcast, if you enjoyed it. Um, but that's what I would leave you guys with. Ah, beautiful advice, precious, just beautiful advice. I cannot say enough positive about the questioning, the self-reflection. That's what got me into all this. And (laughs) it is, it's scary. It's scary to question what you've held to be true your whole life. Some people don't want to go there. And like you keep mentioning, be gracious, be kind, be compassionate with yourself and with others. So if maybe you're not in the right place, you're just not there yet. You just cannot question what you hold to be true. One right. day, one day, maybe this net today is not the time, but maybe a month from now, a year from now, it's okay. Um, right. Good well, will think, come from it. Right, for sure. I think a lot of people don't want to address it because there is a sort of accountability and guilt associated with that. Yes, um, yes. But also you have to, just how... I don't hold every single one of my generations within me. You can also like focus on what you can do to change your legacy and the history of your family. You know, you don't necessarily have to reflect all of 
the white suppression, I suppose, that of everybody in the 1700s, you don't have to carry that, all, that weight all by yourself, um, but you can be the first person to have that conversation. And so I think that comes with yes. um, just compassion towards yourself first, you know, like mm-hmm. um, releasing that pressure from yourself first, you know, because hurt people hurt people. So if you feel some type of way, just forgive yourself, forgive your family and encourage yourself to just be the first person to move in the right direction. And that's rewarding within itself, you know. What a positive way to end that. I love it. If I had an award to give, I would give you the award of the most eloquent. I mean, my goodness, you are able to say things in such a beautiful way. I feel like I'm over here sticking my feet in my mouth and um, you just say things so well. I just want to continue to listen to whatever it is you have to say. You're very compelling. Oh, thank you. What is your one tip to make the world a better place? And I think maybe we've already touched on this like five times, but why don't you go ahead and say those same beautiful words again? Um, Well, I guess it's a pretty short answer. Um, I always say that kindness never goes out of style. And so if you just implement that in your day, just even being grateful, you know, um, even when you're having a bad day, just taking a moment to be kind towards others really does have a butterfly effect on everything else around you. And the way that I see it is the more that you put good into the world, um, the world naturally becomes a better place and a better place to live for not only you, but for everyone. Mm-hmm. So well, I knew kindness was going to be the word in there. I knew it. <laughs> you just radiate kindness. Uh, what are you the most thankful for? Um, During this time, I am most thankful for um, having my loved ones and my family around. I'm very fortunate to be able to stay with them for um, the pandemic Mm -hmm. and um, for the security that I have here on base. Um, So I'm very grateful for that, you know, the people in my life to encourage me um, during this kind of solemn time. It's a little bit of isolation. So Mm -hmm. having that to having people around certainly does help. So I'm very it does. grateful for that. It so does. That's wonderful. And lastly, what is your favorite quote? Um, I actually don't have one. I, <laughs> I don't, I'm very bad at memorizing things, so I don't have one. Well, I like what you just said. After you said kindness never goes out of style, you said something about you're a firm believer in that goodness, the goodness you give comes back to you, right? I almost wrote that down and was going to use that. <laughs> sure. I think that everything we put in, out into the world is a butterfly effect, you know, like, so one kind thing that you do for somebody could inspire them to do something else. You And we've seen very physical evidence of this, of like the Starbucks change when you, chains when you buy somebody's drink and then they buy somebody else's drink mm-hmm. and then it goes down for like 50 cars. Yeah. It's like that s- same sort of thing that's very tangible. But it could be like opening the door for somebody or complimenting somebody. It could just be like super small things Mm -hmm. um, that really make a big impact, you know, overall. Mm -hmm. Precious, this has been such an eye-opening, wonderful time of getting to meet somebody new who just speaks into your life the exact things you need to hear at the exact moment. I have really enjoyed listening to you and learning from you and um, hearing your life experiences. Thank you for sharing them with us. 
Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. I want to give a huge shout out to Precious's parents for raising such an incredibly self-aware, well-adjusted and conscientious young lady who knows who she is and where she stands in this world. She tackles tough problems with action, assertiveness, and kindness. Precious takes her impact on this world seriously. She's out there on all these social media platforms, not just to hear herself speak, but for the greater good. She knows the impact her words have on others and is purposeful about spreading kindness, awareness, and happiness. And what says happiness better than great cooking tips, recipes, and advice? I just love how she refers to it as the butterfly effect. If you want to learn more about Precious, you can find her podcast titled Precious the Foodie, wherever you listen to podcasts. I also encourage you to check out her website where she has these fantastic links to articles, TED Talks, and other podcasts that help us learn more about anti-racism work and just to educate ourselves. Check out the show notes for the links to all her other social media sites. Mother Teresa says, kind words can be short and easy to speak but their echoes are truly endless. I see this lived out in the life of my sweet guest today. May we all be cognizant of the butterfly effect we have on people's lives and choose kindness every chance we get, like Precious has. Thank you for listening to Gramercy. Remember, there is no them, just us. See you down the road.